Hey awesome nerds and welcome to episode 8 of D&D and TV, uh, the final episode of season 1 of Invincible. This is the show where we talk about how to make, how to take ideas from different TV shows uh, and put them into your role playing games. This season is rewatching Invincible, the show by, um, well based on the comics by Robert Kirkman which are really cool, and you should read them. Everyone should read these comics. But I am your host, Jeremy Vine, and I am joined by a man who has never found an arm in the middle of the rubble of a burnt-out city. It's Mike, Dr. Chops. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I mean, it, it, it was off. It would have been severed when you found it. It wasn't, um, it wasn't something that you kept and, and pot there yourself. I can neither confirm nor deny these vicarious allegations. They are very vicarious. Uh, but we are talking about, as I said, the final episode. This has been a bit of a thrill ride, hasn't it? This this journey through Invincible. We've, um, cha- well, have our opinions on Nolan changed since episode one? Um, I, I would personally take the stance that I withheld forming an opinion on Nolan uh, until a later time at which I knew more. Uh, that time is now. And uh, my opinion on Nolan is a strong one, indeed. And what is that opinion? What a dick. He is. He's such a dick. Nolan, you're a dick. Fuck you, Nolan. We, you killed the Immortal. Who's our favourite? Yep, the Immortal was uh, one of the highlights of the season for me. It was. Uh, it really it was, was. The Immortal basically felt like a Superman character with the rage of the, um, the Incredible Hulk. It was brilliant. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of how the episode starts with the the immortal's blood raining down on grass, mm-hmm. which is oh so creepy because you realize that if yeah if you're fighting, it's bad enough when Pegasus are flying around and they're just shitting everywhere, and then you realize when superheroes are flying around and punching people, so much stuff is going to be falling from the sky and just landing on people. And when it's just blood, it's like, oh, it's raining. Oh, God, what is it? What's happening? God, actually, imagine in a, in a, sh- in a movie like The Fifth Element where they got all the flying cars. Imagine if any of them had an oil leak. Like, you know, you're just, like, going down the street, and, you know, you pick up a hot dog from, like, a fast food stall, and you walk out, and then, bam, oil right on your hot dog, and it ruins your lunch. Like, that'd be the worst. I don't know. I think that's the point in the the fifth element, is it? When they get it below a certain level, you can't see the ground anymore. It's like it's that far down that just it's a constant fog. It's too thick. Anything dropping from the sky just bounces off the the layers and layers of smog that are down there. Yeah, not an eye. Not an. I mean, in many ways, seems to be a fantastic place to uh, a time and place to live. In many other ways, it would be absolutely awful. This, I want to get into the fifth element at some point. I want to talk about that as an RPG because that would be cool. That whole universe that um, that Besson created. There's, there's stuff going on there that we don't know about. But no, we're going to talk about Invincible because mm-hmm. in this episode, directed by Jeff Allen and written by Robert Kirkman himself, he did the screenplay. He didn't just do the comics on this one. So it's interesting that he chose to do that and some of the choices are made but either way mark must prove he's become the hero he's always wanted to be by stopping an unstoppable force you notice how vague they make it because they didn't want to reveal that the unstoppable force is his dad yeah totally this is probably an opportune moment to uh remind everybody that where there are going to be spoilers here we are going to bust this episode wide open and just like Omni-Man busts his son's Mark's face wide open 
uh, in the exceedingly brutal and uh, graphic fight scene that seemed to take up a good 50% of the episode. It did. It literally took up 50% of the episode. And that being said, what's left to spoil? This is the last episode, man. It's really it. <laughs> we're, into, we're, into, we're into the end game now. Mm-hmm. No, it is half the episode is ta- well. That's probably not true because the la- last episode ended with Omni Man ripping the immortal in two, and just the blood rains down, and then he turns around to Mark, and he's like, "Mark, we need to talk." And it's it's this thing because Mark at that point he doesn't know who to trust. Does he trust Cecil, head of the GDA, who's saying no, no, Omni Man's evil and killed the Guardians, or do you trust his dad who raised him, but also just ripped his one of his icons in half in front of him on national television where everyone can see? It's like, well, what does Mark do in this situation? It's an interesting question, actually, because. Um... Okay, so obviously this is a giant moment of transition for Mark, uh, where he realizes um, as soon as he sees him rip the immortal in half, and you know hears him say those words to the immortal, "You should have stayed dead," and whatnot, everything clicks in Mark's head, and uh, he realizes then pretty much the background of everything that's really happened. Uh, you know what happened to the original Guardians, and uh, what what his dad's disposition. Uh, seems to be and uh, what I noticed when I saw the ensuing um, interaction because uh, obviously you know Mark kind of freaks out and he's like no um, how could you and then he lashes out and he attacks his dad for you know he thinks he thinks someone must be controlling him and if he and he can beat that influence out of him and uh, then his dad talks to him and he's just like, blah, 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 blah. You know, you got to listen to me. I'm a Viltrumite. Here's what Viltrumite is all about. And throughout the interaction, um, I, I picked up on something here that I, I think a lot of people would have picked up on this. This is not a great insight or anything, but there's a strong element here uh, that throughout this interaction with his dad and the fight and everything that happens now uh, is Mark is actually, after realizing what his dad has done, Mark is actually going through the five stages of grief. Oh, yeah. I had noticed that. Yeah. That's really so, cool. So, you know, at the initial, in the initial stage, the first stage, denial, he refuses to believe that it's really his dad, that someone's controlling him and that he wants to try and free him from the influence. Um, when he realizes that's not the case and his dad explains to him about the Viltrumite culture and what his mission is on Earth, uh, it's anger, you know? Uh, the second stage of grief, where he actively fights him and refuses the notion of the Viltrumite Empire and letting Earth be taken over. Um, Third stage is bargaining. There's a scene where a couple of pilots get sent after him and, uh, you know, um, he pleads with his dad for the life of the pilot and, um, you know, tries to beg and plead for, for his dad to change his ways. Um, as the battle continues and the devastation and the ruination of, you know, all the people around it and the incredibly graphic and exceedingly numerous loss of life, uh, you see him slide into the fourth stage of depression, um, including the old blood on my hands trope as, uh, as he tries to save people. But as, um, you know, as, as a way of proving his point, uh, you know, Omni-Man kills everyone in front of him 
and um, Mark is covered in the blood of the innocents that he's trying to protect. Um, with the last stage coming, acceptance um, coming at the very end of the fight, where um, the the dialogue being that after Omni-Man has completely beat the piss out of Mark for a good 20 minutes, uh, you know, says to him, you know, what are you still going to have after 500 years? What's going to be left? And uh, Mark just gives up and stops fighting and just says, I would still have you, Dad. Um, I would still have you. And, yeah, a couple of those stages get repeated yeah. throughout the fight. Uh, but I, I, I kind of realized at some stage throughout the episode that Mark is going through the five stages of grief and uh, he basically is grieving the loss of his dad and the loss of his family and everything that he had believed up to that point. And the loss of his innocence, I guess, in that regard as well, because the, his entire world has been completely shifted. He's realized that he's not in the happy-go-lucky superhero story that he was. he thought he was in in episode one. He's in the dark dystopian injustice universe um, that that we know he's been living in since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's uh, it's, it's a very uh, for anybody that may not have yet you know, watched the episode. Um, you know, any of our listeners- go and watch it now. Don't fucking don't. Don't keep listening to us. Go watch it now. At the same time, I don't know what this episode was rated, but I sincerely believe it should have been rated R if it wasn't. Uh, For the the scale and the the graphic uh, nature of the the violence within it. Uh, You know, and the the themes within as well. The themes at certain points, I think, uh, actually hit a bit harder than the visual... Uh, you, you know, the visual impact. But um, so trigger warning for anybody that hasn't watched it and you're listening to this without having seen the episode. If you go to watch it, uh, just be ready for a bit of a visceral and uh, visually shocking uh, collection of scenes in this one, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Even more so than, say, the first episode. Um, mm. So if you are just kind of watching along with us, be prepared. I did find it really interesting that everyone who has found out that Mark, that not Mark, everyone who has found out that Nolan killed the Guardians, and even the Guardians at the time, assumed that someone was controlling him. Mm. And it does make me wonder how many, how many times has this happened in this universe? Not specifically with Nolan, but with another hero that someone has been able to put a mind whammy on them and they're just like, I was a hero, now I'm a villain. And this opens up so many possibilities for me for for role-playing games because you can have the great hero that the party looks up to start to do evil acts because the villain has actually charmed them, has enchanted them, has dominated the, their mind and is like, no, now you're a villain with me. And it makes this really cool thing because you start fighting someone who can kick your ass, but you don't want to kill them mm. because you're, you've got a connection with them. And it can make for some really cool scenes as you, the party who generally, in my experience running games, are murder hobos and are designed to take people out. What do you do when you can't take someone out? What do you do when you're like, oh, all of my spells are built for nuking someone. A fireball does not have non-lethal damage. Uh, how do I knock this person down so we can question them and, and save them? 
And yeah, I just like that that this superhero universe has, you know, everyone goes, yeah, he must have been mind controlled. Of course, that's what's happened. But sadly, Nolan was not mind controlled. This is Nolan original recipe. This is why he's always been there. And what I love is when he's explaining to Mark, let me tell, like the episode is called, the episode is called Where I Really Come From. And he goes about, he explains, this is what our society is like. It's not this utopia where we decided we'll go and and help the universe. We were a brutal survival of the fittest place. And 50% of our people destroyed the other half. And everyone who survived was the best possible specimen they could be. And we decided we need to make the rest of the universe as good as us. So we will go out and conquer everyone. And they did. The universe out there is getting conquered by Viltramites as they're talking. But there's so few Viltramites left that they've had to send one person to each planet to take it over rather than sending a whole army. And that's who Nolan is. He is the forerunner. What I love about this sequence is... It's almost shot for shot what we saw the description of Viltrum in the the first episode. It's like, it's the same things. It's just added the truth. It's added the violence of people just kind of walking about their lives and they rip someone in half. And we see the, we see the skyscraper and then it explodes because somebody got killed inside there. And it's like, this is a really nice way of just taking the veil off our eyes for, for what the real, real world is like for them. And I thought it was a, an awesome thing or awesome way of doing it. But mm. um, sadly, sadly, Mark is sad about this. He, he does mm-hmm. not like it when his dad lies to him. Yeah. And, and I think that there's, there's, a, there's a very valid argument to say that um, the, the world at large uh, were indeed the victims of mind control. Uh, it was just a matter of um, controlling public opinion by a matter of deceit and uh, dishonesty. Um, you know, Omni-Man yeah. was the one like, controlling everyone just by lying and with the facade. And uh, the entire world now has now broken out of that form of mind control. And if I wanted to take that even further, uh, how, how, much, uh, how much is our real life world really controlled by the court of... Uh, propaganda, um, social media, uh, the court of public opinion, uh, public outcry, um, all that sort of stuff. I think that it's a it's a very very real thing. Um, you don't need to you don't need to be wearing one of those fancy slave collars that uh, that robot traded to the Baller Twins uh, an episode or two mm-hmm. ago uh, in order to be under the effects of being mind controlled. It can be uh, much more subtle and uh, much more nefarious. Uh, than um, using technological or mystical means uh, to force somebody to act or to think in a certain way. Um, so it's uh, it's a I don't know if that's insight that the creators or the writers intended, uh, but that's something I think that stands out quite well. Um, you know, in terms of uh, showing, I think it does because. Nolan has always presented this front of, I'm a hero, you know, I'm a good person, I'm doing this for the good of humanity. And he never, in all of his speeches, going back and editing these podcasts and watching the episodes again, nothing he says is a lie. He lies to Debbie and he lies to Mark, but all of the other things seem to be the truth. Like he'll say, everything will change. 
when Mark gets his powers. And it's like, yeah, everything will change. It's like, you have to be ready for what's to come. And it's like, yeah, it just Mark interprets a different way. But what he does to society is a very different thing, that he has this false facade to him. And they do accept him as a savior. And they do kind of follow the narrative that's put out there. They are, no, no, Omni-Man's a hero. Of course he is. And that disappears in the last episode. That that final shot of him tearing the immortal in half on live television, everyone is going through what Mark is now going through. Because some of them, some of the characters know ahead of time that this is coming. Like Cecil has been planning if Omni-Man goes bad for quite a while. And now he's seeing, like he's been, the last episode, he's just throwing everything he's got at him and was unable to even give him a nosebleed, basically. But the rest of the world, now everyone knows. And it is. What, what do you do? Which is, it's interesting, a little bit later in the show that we'll get to, that when they hit Chicago and everything starts going down, people are just going about their daily lives. Like mm-hmm. the news isn't blasting, you know, Omni-Man gone bad. Or it's people are just like, do, 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 I'm going on the subway. And it's like, no, no, you don't go to work when this is going on. Your entire world is falling down around you. You don't just go get on the train and go to work. You stay and watch the news. So that that was a little peculiar to me. Oh yeah, absolutely. It um, and you know this um, the very powerful element here of an all powerful and unstoppable um, you know hyper uh, hyper powerful villain uh, just opening up and unleashing on everybody um, is uh, an element uh, that. Uh, I've seen used and used a couple of times in tabletop games myself, um, you know, mm-hmm. to, to link it in because you know how you've, you've said it yourself. Sometimes you get parties that are just put, put in front, front, front and foremost. They're just murder hobos. Um, you know, they don't play the game for intrigue or for necessarily for plot or storyline. Uh, they want to get in, they want to fight, they want to get loot, they want to play the game like it's a Diablo game. Um, and, you know, just mm. kick in the door, fight everything, and, uh, you know, revel in the spoils afterwards. Um, sometimes, and that's a valid way to play. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, sometimes they just may simply come across an enemy that is way, way, way far beyond them. And if they want to make the choice to take that, uh, take on that character, then okay, fair enough, up to you, no worries. Um, you know, don't come crying when the uh, when the chicken comes home to roost and you get absolutely pasted. Um, you know, a couple of very good examples of that that I might uh, draw upon. Um, you know, in the Curse of Strahd module uh, for Dungeons and Dragons, um, a, a key element. Of the Curse of Strahd is, of course, um, Strahd himself, uh, the the vampiric count that is the big bad of the module, um, and he, I mean, you know, obviously a dungeon master can run this campaign any way that they see fit or that is most appropriate, but it's designed in such a way, and uh, there is advice given in the book for how Strahd can interact with very low level parties uh, from very early on in the module. Um, you know, he just he just doesn't sit there and wait in his castle, 
um, you know, for, for, you know, weeks or months on end, you know, while the party plays through and levels up and then decides that they're ready to go and fight him. Uh, you know, the intention of that, of that character, Strahd, is to become involved with and interact with the party very early on. And he's so far beyond them in power and ability, um, you know, both in combat and out of combat, uh, that if the party's not ready for him, he will walk through them and slaughter them uh, as easily as easily as picking strawberries in a field, you know? Um, so the party has to decide how they want to deal with it, you know? Um, Strahd doesn't necessarily want to kill them all off straight away. Like, Strahd, does, um, Strahd doesn't want to just walk in and just wipe out a party of people that he finds interesting or entertaining or that he wants to use for his own purposes, uh, uh, no, um, so it's uh, it's a very interesting and uh, very um, uh, powerful element to use in tabletop games. Is um, incredibly powerful characters interacting with player characters that are very far beneath them to see how those player characters handle it and react, um, which uh, has has always really led to interesting scenarios in the games that I've run. Um, including in games like uh, Vampire the Masquerade, you know, again, a vampire theme, you know, Strahd's a vampire, and then I go and play a game system with Vampire Masquerade. Um, <laughs> you know, obviously in uh, in Vampire the Masquerade, um, power is uh, just as much a social construct as it is a physical ability or vampiric ability construct. And, um, you know, the, you know, you know, the general power, um, the general power structure of the local princes or barons or the very old vampires all the way up to the uh, antediluvians and whatnot, um, you know, there's opportunity to use these kinds of characters in the uh, in the plot construct or storyline of these, uh, these game systems where they can interact with very low-level uh, player characters um, in interesting situations. Um and give them something, give the party something they cannot just steamroll in combat and uh, take what they want out of the scenario by a sheer force of dice rolls, you know? Yeah, that's kind of the thing I wanted to, to bring into this episode because every episode we pick our character that we'd like to make into an NPC or, or play a character. And normally I'd wait until, you know, we usually do this at the end, but I want to do it now because my one for this one would be Nolan. And specifically mm -hmm. Nolan as a villain, as that ultra-powerful endgame villain that the party meets when they're at a much lower level, that they hit him with the best shot and he just goes, nah, didn't even feel it. And they now know he could destroy them so easily. Just mm -hmm. right away, just rip you in two, spit on your bones, kill your horse, send your bones to your mother kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's not going to because you are that far beneath him. It's not even worth the effort. And that's kind of what we've seen so far that up until now, Nolan's not done all these things because he hasn't needed to, not because he hasn't wanted to. So creating a villain like this who's just super powerful and sees the party is so beneath them, that's going to rankle every single player's hackles. They're going to look at it and go, fuck that guy. I can take that guy, but we've got to figure out how. And it's kind of the DM's 
ultimate, you know, it's it's a game master's wet dream. Here's a, a villain that you cannot beat. You cannot beat them. It doesn't matter what you do. You cannot beat them. Oh, you got fireball? No, he's immune to fire. Oh, you got a monkey? You can stun him? No, he's immune to stunning. He just dodges out of the way of everything. It's so much fun because it makes people think more about what can I actually do to it? And I like to make players think. I want them to be sitting there with the mo- the wheels turning of, well, what's in the environment around me? If my spells don't work, what else do I have? And if all I have is my spells, what the fuck good am I? It's the line from, from Spider-Man uh, Homecoming. It, without that suit, I'm nothing. Well, then you shouldn't have it. If you're nothing without the suit, then you are nothing. Because the suit is just whatever you bring to it. It's... Uh, yeah, anyway, but going back to Nolan, going back to Nolan, this complete fascist, the idea of this villain of who's got kind of a good point sometimes. He's like one of those villains that does have this this element of truth to everything he's saying, that he's saying, I am strong and these people are weak and I will protect them. I will be a harsh master, but they will have safety and they will have security and they might even have happiness if I so choose. And it seems like some people would be okay with that because as long as he's not destroying them, they it's that, that layered villain. And what he's saying to Mark is the same thing. After a thousand years, it will just be us. Everyone you know that you've grown up with, you're going to live thousands of years, Mark. You're going to be millennia old. Everyone you know right now is going to die. They are but ants. And there's that great line, this is what sets Mark off, and they actually start punching, that when he asks, do you even love mom? And and Nolan has that brutal line. I do love your mother, but she's more like a, a pet to me. And it's just, oh my God, because everything he's saying to Mark, you can look at it and go, yeah, yeah, Mark could, could do that. It's, it's the problem with living for thousands of years. Life just stops, human life just stops meaning anything to you. And you can see how he's become a villain. He was raised to believe that he is superior and he, he truly is. He's omnipowerful over everyone else. So why does not why doesn't he step up and take control? And Mark is basically said, "No, I'm." Mark makes fi- Mark finally fucking makes a choice. This entire show, Mark has been having to make choices. He's been having to be he's confronted with decisions and being told, "You've got to make this choice. You've got to decide between not stepping up and being a hero." And this time he's like, he his his dad calls his mother a pet. And he takes the swing, and that's when the fight is on. And it does not go well for him. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a bit of a gracious uh, extension, I think, to refer to it as a fight. <laughs> yeah. It feels like a tantrum, almost, of what Mark does to him. He's just... He's, he's throwing punches... And Nolan is just like, nah, nah. And he throws him into Chicago. He just like punches him a couple. We do really see Nolan let loose for the first time. Mm -hmm. Because all the previous ones, he was able to, you know, rip someone in two. It's like he punches someone and he just pops his fist through their head. 
But now he's hitting someone who takes the punch. And we see just how smart Nolan is as well. He'll punch Mark up in the air and then he'll be, he'll fly up before Mark reaches the, the zenith of, the, the, of the, the hit and punch him back down again. And it's like, this is what Superman could do to you. It's fucking terrifying. Oh yeah, it was. It again had a had a fight scene that was very reminiscent of um, Clark Kent versus General Zod in uh, Man of Steel. Except, unlike yeah. Man of Steel in this fight scene, uh, people's faces get busted open and teeth get knocked out, and there's blood and wounding, and um, you know the very graphic depiction as well of all the innocent people getting crushed and torn apart and. Um, splattered when uh, they're on a high high speed moving train uh, that Nolan Ho holds Mark face first into, and um, it kind of just oh, I hated through. that scene. Yeah, I yeah, hated that scene so much. Over over time, um, you know, one one of my favourite comic book writers uh, is Garth Ennis, right? Um, the creator of the comic books of The Boys. And preacher, um, he's written uh, some series from um, for Nick Fury and for the Punisher and whatnot. And one of the reasons that I enjoy uh, Mark uh, Garth Ennis's uh, comic books is that they deal with real world themes in a superhero universe and provoke a lot more thought than standard mainstream comics usually do. Uh, there are some things that I dislike about Garth Ennis's comics, and some of that is the uh, completely unnecessary level of visual and graphic violence and uh, those kinds of things that make make their way into his comic books, which he uses at the forefront as a, as a vehicle to shock the reader. And, um, you know, I don't necessarily like that. Like, although he's my favourite comic book writer, I think he could do without it most of the time, you know? And sometimes, yeah. you know, the... Uh, the, the imagination of circumstances are more, is more powerful than the visualization of circumstances. Um, I will point out that Garth Ennis uh, has changed that style in the last 15 years or so. There has been a shift in his tone uh, when he's writing comic books. I still don't read him. He's not one of my favorite writers like he is yours. But the almost comedic level of violence, like the slapstick level of gore, that appeared in the boys in early in early issues, that has significantly um, been reduced. So, just so people are like, no, if people are scared of Garth Ennis after reading that. His later stuff is not that gory. Alrighty. Um, on that note, can I just warn everybody away from reading Crossed? Just don't do it. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, like. Uh, that that book should be on everybody's do not read lists. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Um, even just like the first fucking issue, uh, you know, we're not going to get into that. I've been trying to forget that comic book ever since I uh, actually did read it. Um, but that, that's my official standpoint. Um, so when it comes, I, I to- laugh even harder from that. Just just as an aside, because. Just today, I saw someone tweet saying that, unfortunately, I live in a world where I've read Necronomicon by Alan Moore. And somebody else said, I wish that was the worst comic I've read, except I've read Crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to that kind of uh, material, 
um, I feel like this episode kind of really lent, lent into into that is that you know the the visual depiction of violence was used as a vehicle to really kind of shock the viewer in this one, and yeah. um, unlike in Garth Ennis's books, where I think that by and large it's unnecessary. Um, and the you know the the theme could be conveyed without necessarily the uh, you know the visualization. I think that in this one, the visualization was actually very very powerful. Um, the the what Mark gets subjected to is what the audience is subjected to. You know, we uh, we very much suffered through it just the way that the character in the show uh, had to suffer through it. And that really drove the point home because um, it kind of turned it from being because, uh, you know, when, when when Nolan was giving the talk to, to Mark, right, you know, hey, listen, Mark, we're going to do this. The Viltrumite Empire is going to take over Earth. It's going to be great. We're going to stop war. We're going to feed the hungry. You know, everything's going to be better than it was before. Um, thanks to us, because we're Viltrumites and we're going to do things the right way. Um, it kind of smacked of a redundancy talk um, from, you know, a corporation. It's just like, hey, sit down. Okay, yeah. here's the deal. We want to make you redundant. If you accept this redundancy package, you're going to get this much of a payout. We're going to give you a letter of recommendation and a referral to work somewhere else. Uh, you're going to get all of this uh, provided that you just, you know, piss off and leave your, you know, give up your livelihood, um, you know, leave this working culture behind and all your colleagues and your friends, forget all of them, take the money, take the payout, do the right thing and just disappear. Otherwise we will make life hell for you. And what kind of a choice does a corporate worker have at that point? You know? Um, uh, are you saying that the Viltrumites are basically a pyramid scheme? To a degree. Um, it they kind of are. The- Cause you know, you've got your area manager, which is one Viltrumite of of controlling the entire planet and now nolan's coming to mark and being like hey you could rule with me i'll go off and rule another planet and use report to me all the time and then we go into the bigger empire and bigger empire that yeah it kind of is viltrumites as a corporation i had not considered before but that's really fascinating um you know it's but then you know that that vibe you know so so you know that talk was kind of happening and i was kind of rolling my eyes and going like oh great it's the uh it's it's the 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 trope or the um you know the the standard uh redundancies talk kind of i'm getting out of it and you know mark is just like no no daddy please no we can't do that and then uh nolan was just like all right fuck it and then just starts beating the piss out of him and that sat me up and took an interest in the uh, in the show or in the episode again straight away. It kind of it used that vehicle to shock the viewer out of it. I was shocked out of the um, the vibe that I was getting when he was trying to convince him, and uh, then shifted into just beating it into him. Um, yeah, not necessarily saying that I enjoyed it. You know, th- this was uh, this was a very harsh and brutal brutal scene, and it's not the kind of. Um, it is not the kind of uh, gentle or PG style superhero violence that you get out of, um, you know, movies like the Avengers or man of steel and whatnot. Uh, this is again, brutal and visceral and um, kind of has you squirming in your seat watching it because it's, um, it's that harsh. Um, and yeah, I was scared at a few, I mean, 
I have read the books before, but I remember reading the first time. I was worried that Mark was going to get killed, that this would mm. just be a brutal beatdown and Nolan would kill him and that would be it. That would be the series done. That that's what happens when you go against a god. And no one will feel mm. bad about it, but oh well, sorry Mark. That was Mark's journey. He f- figures out he's got superpowers and his dad kills him because he's not tough enough. Because it is, mm. it's a brutal, it is shocking. And this is a good, um, this is one of the advantages that you have when you're dealing with these kinds of situations at a tabletop game. Um, the dungeon yeah. master could obviously play to the crowd. Um you know, the if you, if you're running an event where you know in this kind of a situation, um, you know there's a there's a significant combat with an or there's like an obscenely overpowerful big bad that's you know could wipe out the party. Um, you don't necessarily need uh, to to amp up the violence and the gore to eleven like this episode did. You can absolutely just play to the crowd and uh, adjust it so that the the people that you're playing with. It has the impact, but it doesn't kind of, you know, I, I could see this this level of violence on a tabletop game running players away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think players want a little bit more of the fantasy bloodless violence where you cut somebody's head off and it bounces away, but you don't see the, the spurt and the, the spinal cord and all of that other stuff. You don't see the brains falling out the bottom. It's, um, I, I'm going to have to put a content warning on this episode, aren't I? Yeah. Well, that that scene in the previous episode after after Nolan beats up come some of those psycho cyborg clones and grabs the camera that Cecil's following him with and shoves it into the gore and the guts, so that all they're seeing is the um you know the internal um, viscera of the uh, of the defeated enemies. Like you know, uh, it was intended to be over the top, and goddamn, it was over the top. Yeah, yeah, it certainly brings home. I guess the lack of reality in other or other forms of the genre that we don't mm-hmm. see in, in other things like this is kind of what would really happen. This is a slightly more realistic version. If this amount of power existed in one person and yeah, it's, it's a lot. The, the fight scene is a lot to get through. There are some really cool moments. Like I, more thematic moments. I like when um, the the fighter jets attack Nolan and we've already got the meme going around a bit where it's like, look at these, look at them, look at what they need to mimic even a fraction of our power. And that's what the fight, it's like the ultimate power of the fighter jets and it's like Nolan can just destroy them anyway. And Mark saving one of the pilots only for Nolan to kill the pilot later on and just be like, it doesn't matter what you do. These people will die and you'll just be alone again. I think the the coolest part for it for me, though, is we've seen a couple of times in the show so far, Mark, go like he gets to that point, he gets into that rage focus where he has this like little sonic boom and he's like ultra powered now and he beats up an alien or something like that. And he pulls that on Nolan and he just smacks him across the face. <laughs> Please. And it's literally, this is the best you have, and you did not even make me flinch. And it's like that's when that's that's kind of when Nolan realizes you're you're not good enough. 
I thought you could live up to the Viltrumite thing and you're not good enough. And that's when he's just throwing him around and just beating the crap out of him. Oh, my God. It's, yeah. Yeah, I feel, I feel, I don't want to get too much into, I get too much. I don't yeah. want to spend too much longer on the fight because while it is half the episode, they are just kind of punching each other right up until the end. And the end is a vital point because they go to Mount Everest. They get sm- or I'm assuming it's Mount Everest. It is a mountain, and Mark is just beaten bloody. He's not even standing up anymore, and Nolan's just pounding away on him and basically going to kill him, and then has a flashback to seeing Mark hit a home run for one of the very first times as a child, and Nolan being explained to by Debbie that our children are what make us happy as adults, that seeing them happy because adults have all these pressures on them that the joy of the world is experienced through the child and Nolan actually gets into it and he's like yeah way to go Mark way to go and then he realizes oh I'm beating the crap out of this kid I raised and he just stops and collapses in the snow and then flies away and it's just oh my god he didn't get killed it wasn't like this ultimate battle this is Again, that ultra-powerful supervillain that I, I mentioned before, building for, for role-playing games, this is what I want the players to have to do, to find some way of convincing them, of actually role-playing with them, a way to make them stop. The getting them the thing they want and making them realize you never actually wanted this in the first place or appealing to that humanity deep down in them. There's a great sequence. I don't know how many people... Have you played Fallout, the first, the very first um, version? No, I've played Fallout 3, but that's my, about the extent for me. Okay, so there's a scene at the very end where you fight the Master, which is basically a guy who's put his body into a, a machine, a massive like Terminator, Dreadnought, Robocop-style thing. And he is the, the final boss, essentially, and you can convince him to kill himself just by talking to him. You don't have to fight him. You can convince... And then you have to run through the exploding base, of course. But you can convince him. You can say, everything you've done has been for nothing. You have made so many mistakes leading up to this point. You can point out all the plot holes in the plot, basically. And he will go, oh, shit, you're right. Well, I'm just going to off myself then because everything I've done up to this point has been for nothing. This is... You've got a high enough charisma. I love to have that option, particularly when you're in such a such a dead end if you're in such dire straits that you've got no other option than to talk and just appeal to their mercy and convince them of doing the other way because there's there's always an opportunity to talk i i really like that idea and particularly when you've got someone who's super powerful who you could overcome but the cost would be so high and that's kind of what Mark is having, that the cost of killing his father and the cost for Nolan here is killing his son and they realise there has to be another way. And Mark, unfortunately, cannot find that other way, but Nolan finds it for him. It's mm-hmm. it's really powerful. And that's kind of the height of the episode. The rest of the episode is kind of the, I guess, the the denouement, the, the catharsis, the um, the coming down from the climax of smacking each other in the face and just kind of setting up for the next season too. Yeah, because yeah, it's then basically just like a mini highlight reel and it's a uh, 
a real come down off the adrenaline um, is the remainder of it. It's like the um, it's like the session after the boss battle at D and D campaign, you know, where um, yeah, you know, in, in a D and D campaign there'll be the you know the tallying up of all the loot and the XP points and um, you know going back to town and you know interacting with shopkeepers and staying in the tavern and blah blah blah, but. You know this. Uh, you know in this show, you know that is a, is a mimicry of the real world. It's a case of let's see what you know the emotional impact is for Mark and Debbie after they get home. After you know Mark's treated by the um, the Global Defense Agency and uh, he manages to get home reasonably healthy after being beaten with an inch of his life. Uh, you see how the Guardians, um, the new Guardians of the globe, you know, they end up going out to just try and help civilians and do the cleanup. Uh, you get Cecil, um, you know, putting together things within the, the Global Defense Agency to prepare for future Omni-Man level threats. Um, Will and Amber and uh, Eve, you know, getting together with Mark to try and um, talking through, you know, the uh, the issues and the problems and the and the fallout. Um, you I know, love that it's scene uh, in the diner with them. And I thought it, that was really fun. Oh, for sure. Um, and you know, a, a good thing, you know, one one thing that I like is how they all know Mark's secret identity, and it's um, you know we don't have to worry about that secret identity trope anymore that I've complained about at length in previous episodes. You know about Mark and Omni-Man now, so you might as well know about me. I met Mark in costume before I realized we went to the same school. I'm, um, well, I'm Adam Eve. What? Oh my god, I see it now. You can make doubles of yourself. No, that's duplicate. I'm the pink one. Oh, right. Of course. You know, the, the thing that really sets us up for the, the next season, of course, um, is your mate, uh, your Yay! favorite character, Ellie the Alien, yeah? Alan the Alien. Jeez, Alan man. the Alien. <laughs> Alan the Alien, played by Seth Rogen, who helped make the show. Yeah. So after the aftermark is healed from the fight, Nomni Man has left the solar system, and um, Cecil calls Mark and he's just like, something's flying back into the solar system. You've got to get out there and figure it out and stop him quick. So Mark goes up there and he's ready to fight and Alan the alien shows up and Alan is just like, go, Mark, you got to roll, man. You got a Viltrumite living on Earth. He's going to take over everything. And Mark's just like, oh, we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, oh yeah, that. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it's fine, whatever. <laughs> I know all about that. Yeah, and then you find out that Alan, Alan the alien, is from like a coalition of planets that are fighting to resist against the conquering Viltrumite Empire. Um, you know, and uh, kind of gives gives us the story hook of hey, that's that's going to be something significant for the future. Um, but then you know, at the end of the episode, uh, he basically asks Mark, "Hey, what are you? What are you going to do next?" I guess. And then Mark has a flashback to all the things currently going on. You know, he has a flash. You know, I mean, it's not a flashback, but you, we as the viewer get a bit of a highlight reel of what's currently happening as a result of his choices throughout the season. Um, you know, you get um, 
the aliens on Mars that are now being wiped out and taken over by the uh, by the parasitic um, squid things. Um, you get Cecil using the mad scientist evil dude to create an entire army of these crazy cannibalistic cyborg uh, killing machines. Um, you get to see the alien race that Omni-Man nearly wiped out um, plotting revenge against the planet Earth, and in particular Nolan, who they expect to be there. Um, you know, you get you get visions of all these things currently happening, and I don't know if this was necessarily anything like this was rolling through Mark's head, but after we get a vision of all these things going on, and you just go back and you just see Mark just respond by saying, Finish high school, I guess. Oh, all right, good. Sounds good. What is high school? Yeah, I really love that. Um, I mean, you've left out two of the my favorite scenes that we see, one of which is um, Doc Seismic. Doc Seismic did not die in the yes. Lava Fall from episode three. He lives and he controls the magma men. It's like, yes, yes, bring me back more Doc Seismic. It makes no sense, but sure. And the Mauler Twins, back in prison, finally getting to enjoy that chicken pot pie that they uh, they had to give up to when they could escape. But yeah, I so, and the security like guard scene. with the broken arm is there yeah. as well. <laughs> Poor Pete, the one sorry, that they uh, the one that they apologise to. Pete, that's right. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Pete, broke his arm and got him let self let out of the jail cell. I love this because again, to use in a in a role playing game, particularly more of the fantastic or world ending adventure like the epic adventures you have this opportunity to foreshadow what's to come and you can do it through dreams. You can do it through prophecies. You can just lay the seeds of little, little hints and say, and you see the story of the dark dragon of the void, but that's the story for another time. And, or, Oh, what's this map? It leads to a hidden treasure over there, but we're going over the other way this time. So maybe we'll just keep that in mind. I, I like that, that element of here's what's to come. Here's the the opportunities that'll present themselves and dangling the fish hooks for what are you interested in? What seems cool? Giving you that hint. And maybe they'll never touch on those things again. Maybe that's just so you get a little bit of a, a synopsis, a little bit of an epilogue for a lot of these characters saying that, hey, they're still around. We remember they existed and they're not just, just one-offs. Um, I like that, particularly in a in a final episode. I think it's a good way of wrapping it all up. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that it was indeed with Alan the Alien um, and ending the episode on a lighter note, which is indeed what made Alan the Alien my favourite character from this episode. Yes! (laughs) Getting us away from the doom and gloom of everything else that there was and uh, giving us something to feel a little bit more cheerful, cheerful about. I knew I'd bring you around to Alan eventually. He is the best. He's just he he's so he's so much fun. So everyone mm-hmm. everyone should love Alan. He's the greatest. But that's kind of it for was there anything else in the episode that you wanted to to bring up because we've kind of come to the end of it. Yeah. Another thing about something to use in the RPGs or the tabletop games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A very a very important element, I think. Sometimes the heroes lose deal with it you know sometimes the play the party carry the party full of player characters they're not going to win every time sometimes they're going to lose 
as they say in Star Trek, Captain Jean-Luc Picard giving advice to Lieutenant Data, it is possible to make every right decision and still lose. That is life. That is also D&D or Vampire Masquerade <laughs> or many other uh, tabletop games. Party doesn't have to win every time. It's really interesting that you bring up the, the five stages of grief earlier, that this is the stage of acceptance, that marks or his acceptance. He's not resigned to what's happened with Nolan. He has accepted that it has happened. And his next step, all this other stuff going on, He's got to deal with the sequence. He's got to deal with Doc Seismic. He's got to deal with Titan again, who's apparently got a dragon spirit fighting him. That's for later. Right now, he's got to finish high school. This is the acceptance that Mark has been looking for all season. He's just been trying to figure out, well, what do I do? Well, now I know what I do. And that acceptance is something that has to come into role-playing games as well, that sometimes your character will die. Sometimes the character next to you will die. Sometimes you don't beat the bad guy. Sometimes the bad guy wins. Sometimes the bad guy wins, but you don't get the treasure. It's like, you just got to accept it. That's, that's what happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. And to all those game masters and dungeon masters out there, when you look over at your players after they've just lost a big fight or they've been denied a big loot, cash grab, and you see that look of disappointment in their eyes... Do not cave in. Make make a lost encounter mean something. Um, you know, don't flip it over. Don't do a 180. Don't give them a, a consolation prize. Let them learn their lesson that loss means loss. And if you're anything like me, fellow Game Masters and Dungeon Masters, soon you'll begin to relish that, uh, that look of disappointment in your player's eyes as you kill their ninth character. Or uh, they open up that treasure chest thinking they're going to find a magical broadsword and all they find is dust. It's a learning experience for us all. So Mm -hmm. that's us on Invincible. We will have a season wrap-up episode next week where we'll just kind of talk about general themes that we really enjoyed and maybe talk about some ideas of superhero RPGs and things like that. So tune in for, for that. Mike, where can people find you online if they want to hear more about how awesome you are and cool Viking stories? Best place to find me and a convenient place for all the links to all my socials is my Twitch page at twitch.tv slash dr underscore chops. That's doctor underscore chops. And you can find the podcast at dndntvpod on Twitter, Instagram. You can just send an at Gmail. That's a good way to find us as well. But it's also dndntvpod.podbean.com. That's where we're hosted. But of course, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, wherever your podcast catcher has brought you. Please leave us a review. Hopefully you enjoyed watching the show with us and got some ideas for, for your RPGs as well. If you do send us emails or contact us through social medias, maybe you suggest other shows that we could watch um for for future seasons but until next time be kind to yourselves and may all your hits be crits